I think a lot of it comes down to is this an individual pain? Is this an individual matter? Or is it a company-wide thing? Because... Hello, and a big welcome to Hot Sauce, where we'll cover the hottest topics within sauce, together with brilliant guests. Are you also curious about fast-grown companies and the people behind them? Welcome aboard. My name is Max Nyman. I'm the CEO of LimeGo, and this is an interactive podcast where you can give suggestions on upcoming guests and topics. You can also jump into discussions with other listeners by leaving comments or upvoting their suggestions. I'm determined to become one of the greatest within B2B sauce, which is why I invite thought leaders and pick their brains about how to scale their companies. However, there are so many fast-growing companies out there and new ones appearing all the time. I only know a fraction, and that's why I want to give you the opportunity to have an impact on the episodes and its content. Hit the link in the episode to interact and affect. Enough already, let's get to it. All right. Very, very welcome, Omar Abufandi. Thank you, Max. Good to, good to be here today. Yeah, nice. Good to have you on board. How you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Enjoying the not-so-summer, summery London. <laughs> so, it's, yeah, not bad. Yeah, nice. All good. And uh, we actually met at uh, Saster in London, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm, I'm going to the next Saster in San Francisco in... I'm actually flying it's in a week. Yeah, or... yeah, flying on Friday. Um, so if you're there again, I think we'll meet again. Otherwise, next next year yeah. again in uh, in London. Next time, definitely. Cool. And uh, I mean, I, I've uh, gotten a, a bit of a picture, but for the listeners, can you please just uh, give a short brief? Uh, what is Salesfinity, and what kind of problems do you solve? What do you sell? Absolutely. So Salesfinity is an AI platform and yeah so we automate customer acquisition by enabling teams to save 70 to 90 percent of their time specifically when cold calling so we ensure that sellers are spending 100 percent of their time speaking to people meeting their target market speaking to their potential customers rather than to machines and voicemails um, and thereby we can get teams into typically 20 to 30 conversations per day per person that is good numbers <laughs> yeah yeah and the, the yeah. average today is around three to four three to four people with a connect yeah. rate of like five percent it um it can soon become a big problem i think that's what, what everyone is realizing yeah definitely and, and i mean i think it it's getting more and more difficult also with the the connection rates so i think it's it's right in the time yeah absolutely i think different countries different areas have different connect rates but with us mainly working in the U.S. today, um, you know, the U.S. is quite overwhelmed with cold calls. And I think connect rates are traditionally quite low, especially that they have spam filters and things like that. So um, it's either you hire five times more people or you buy Salesfinity. The choice is yours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good pitch. Right. And uh, I mean, there, there's obviously a couple of different uh, scenarios, uh, building pipeline and, and for the, the like SDR teams and so on. But what kind of uh, use case or like ICP is it that, uh, that you find the, the most successful when it comes to your product? Sure. So when it comes to the ICP, it's uh, traditionally people who, teams who understand technology, are leveraging technology and want to do a lot better. Um, <clears throat> so mainly sales teams in software companies. But that's not to say that we discriminate against recruiting, recruitment companies, um, traditional like, you know, finance companies that, have, that are very cold, cold core heavy. Um, 
so the ICP is quite broad, but where we've seen the most success is traditional SaaS companies with SDR teams that are using tech to uh, build pipeline. Mm. And uh, to, to set the scene a bit, um, how complex is it to sell Salesfinity? What's the sales cycle, the average deal size, like range? It's actually the easiest thing I've sold in my life, to be fair. <laughs> um, That's good. Yeah, because the ROI is so clear because you can tie it directly to revenue generation or loss of revenue if you don't go for a solution like Salesfinity that becomes not very you know it's not a very difficult business case to make um deal sizes are no more than two months on average it really differs i mean close the deal in less than 24 hours which was pretty significant and at the same time like much smaller deals took between six weeks to two months sometimes so but anyway <clears throat> no more than three months for sure in in the past my deal cycle with other like companies or other other products was somewhere between six months all the way up to two years, so it's yeah. um, it's a massive difference. Mm. Uh, okay, and and in terms of the the markets, you said that it's mainly US, right? So you, you can't buy the product yet and do the dialing in in Europe or Nordics, or how does it work? You you can. Um, so it's it's not really about where the person's located is more about where they're calling into um i mean mm. the majority of our customers are in the us but we do have customers outside of the us including europe yeah so it is usable for um you know european markets in the past there have been some limitations but we've managed to overcome those so very soon um it'll be unlimited you know when it when it comes to which regions etc there won't be any any problems with that um in, in the next few weeks. Yeah, cool. That's good for the people listening in in, uh, in Europe if they're excited about this. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we do and... get a lot of requests from Europe. Uh, it's yeah. almost starting to become like 50-50 at this stage. And, you know, we thought we have to do something. We have to serve the uh, European market. So we're working on some very exciting updates. And, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about the possibilities of Salesfinity in Europe. Nice. Yeah, sounds uh, sounds promising. And uh, can you tell me a bit more? Because you're in London at the moment. How how big is your team? Where are they located? Uh, like uh, headquarters and uh, like approximate ARR range? What's the status? Yeah, sure. So our team is still very small. We're less than 10 people globally. Um, we're kind of spread in different areas. It's between the UK, London and San Francisco. At the minute, it's a 50-50 split roughly. And yeah. our revenue is around a million dollars. And uh, in terms of your role, you're the CRO, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I established a revenue function. Um, I also co-founded the company. So joined in the very early days <clears throat> and helped design the kind of sales process, um, sales approach, the pitch, demos, everything really. Mm. I, was the, I was the sales team. Still yeah. kind of <laughs> one man show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. And like I said, it wasn't. It's not an awfully complex product to sell or to understand. So that's definitely made my life much easier. Um, and I've gone by one principle since day one: is aim to disqualify or disqualify as fast as possible. 
Um, yeah. And that's how we managed to grow and scale so fast with very, very minimal resources because we're not wasting time on stuff that goes nowhere. Yeah, I, I like that. That's a, that's a good approach. And it's uh, kind of the opposite of what a, what a sales rep wants to do in the beginning, right? Because you want to find opportunities. But I, I think that's uh, uh, coming a bit from, from experience, learning to disqualify earlier and harder. Absolutely. I obviously made the traditional mistake of, you know, trying different angles and following up and following up for months going nowhere. So I think when we put a position, when, when I saw, when we put ourselves in a position where we can't afford to waste time because we have a small team, massive market opportunity competition, um, kind of force ourselves to disqualify as fast as mm. possible. So we focus on the things that do matter. Yeah. And, and uh, as you said, it's a, it's a small team at the moment, uh, but uh, kind of impressive numbers. And uh, do you have any sales team at the moment or is it the, the dialer doing its magic? Um, so we do have a sales team right now. And obviously we have the dialer as well. So <clears throat> definitely helping us to keep the team very lean. Um, it's no more than five people today still. Yeah. So, um, in terms of the sales team, <clears throat> obviously we can do what other teams are doing with like 10 people with just our dialer and our technology and also, um, the kind of the sales expertise we have on board is, is definitely helping. So it's putting us in a privileged position to not need a massive team or massive resources to be able to do what we're doing today. Of course we are scaling, so we're hiring multiple AEs and customer success managers and different people for different functions. Um, but so far, so good. Yeah. Cool. Seems like you're on a, on an exciting journey ahead. I would say so. It's definitely not an yeah. easy journey, but it's definitely very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, the most important thing. I, I, I always say that humans are made to solve problems. So that's what we do. Absolutely. I think it's the reason I left. Um, I mean, by background, I'm actually a pharmacist. So back in the day, I was doing something. Wow, that's that's a switch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. as a pharmacist, all you do is solving problems. I think every job comes down to solving problems. It's just about how you, I guess, take the best of your skills and apply it to a field that you're passionate about. And that's exactly what we're doing today. Hmm. But but tell me more about the, I mean that switch going from a pharmacist into to sauce. Uh, why Salesfinity and and how come you are there and are staying there? Sure. So I've always been passionate about selling. I think since the very very early days, my early childhood, I you'd always find me hustling, selling stuff online, buying like <laughs> broken phones and fixing them. I had different e-commerce businesses, etc. kind of always kept myself busy selling stuff. But I, yeah. I never really like I did it just because I thought it was fun. And I never really like got to analyze why I want to do it, why I, I enjoy what I'm doing, or what it is about what I'm doing that's making me so excited. <clears throat> However, like traditionally, we believed that, or at least my family or kind of my upbringing that, you know, you either have to be a doctor or engineer, you know, the classic. So yeah, the, the classic titles. Yeah. So I kind of went into medicine, pharmacy, um, 
still believed in doing the best I can in whatever I do. So I still did really well at university, but I just really never had the kind of passion to stay in it for the rest of my life. And working as a pharmacist for like less than two years, I knew straight away, I don't want to stay in this for the rest of my life. The career progression is very limited. Um, the potential to make an impact was also pretty limited in the space I was in. Like you can only see so many patients, you can only work with so many people in, in your day. <clears throat> it's not scalable like things with technology. So that's how I kind of decided that all the things I've been doing prior to pharmacy all came down to sales. Um, my consultative approach that I learned in pharmacy applied that with my sales experience or my kind of hustling background, I guess. And mm. knew that sales was the right place for me and then went into the startup world, worked for different startups before actually founding Salesfinity myself with uh, my, my current co-founder. Mm. Nice. And and your co-founder, is uh, that the more technical person or? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's good to have one of those. Yeah, exactly. He He's, I think he's, he's good at a lot of things. His, his main I think strength is definitely still technical. Um, he's a very good designer, good marketer as well. So I think a lot of our skills definitely complement each other. We're very different, I like to say, but different in a good way because I I, I had a different startups in the past, which obviously weren't as successful as Salesfinity. And I think some of the mistakes I made or learned from is that likes are likes attract likes. That's at least how I saw it. I wanted to be with people that I resonated with, people that I understood, people who were similar, but it actually worked against me. So now we, I have a combination of two very different people who are very good at different things um, and complement each other. It's going really well. Yeah. There's a saying, I think, like <clears throat> in relationships, you want to find someone that's very similar to you, but in business, you want to find the opposite. I didn't know that was a thing, but it's 100% true. I can, I can verify yeah. that. <laughs> yeah yeah that's good cool and uh shifting the focus back to, to you and your role i mean talking about what uh, what type of product you sell obviously you have uh, some sort of of uh holy metrics that you measure and all like teach to the customers too uh, can you give a, a bit of a brief like what what kind of metrics or kpis are the most important ones for you guys at the moment are you asking about the kpis that matter to our customers or to us I mean, uh, both, because I guess that you have to educate the customers about the metrics in your product that you actually use yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think the top line metric that everyone cares about is revenue. So <clears throat> anything we do is directly tied to revenue generation. Sometimes it's even tied to the survival of the company itself because we've moved away from a very funding heavy environment to a revenue focused environment. So met the top line revenue being rev, uh, the top line metric being revenue. And then that obviously gets broken down into all the way down to conversations and connections on the phone. Um, so yeah, we kind of work backwards from revenue to connects. And then on top of that, there's also things like reducing customer acquisition costs. So CAC is a big thing as well. Um, anything that's to do with customer acquisition, how you acquire them, how much it, how much effort and time and money it takes you to acquire a new customer or even speak to a potential customer. These are all very applicable me metrics. Um, so conversion rates, connection rates, revenue, um, lead or SQL to closed one, 
revenue, mm. CAC. There's so many different metrics that we kind of, uh, that we address with just our solution sales affinity. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, shifting the focus from, from KPIs, uh, let's do an entry towards a, a quick one segment. Uh, so I'm going to ask you a couple of quick questions and I want the quick answers. Sure. All right. So uh, you cannot say Salesfinity, but favorite tool in your sales uh, tech stack? Apollo. All right. Uh, best sales advice. Uh, best sales advice you've uh, ever heard or given. Aim to disqualify. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> is, is that and, too fast? Uh, I, I can go into more detail. No, but that that's good. That's good. It, it uh, or, or I mean, please elaborate. Hit it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> the time you're spending trying to force a qualification, you're missing out on on highly qualified deals. So the faster you quali- you disqualify, um, the more time you spend on things that are worth your time, the more revenue you produce and the more successful you are. It's very yeah. simple. Yeah, it is. But but uh, now you make me curious. How would you like teach that? If you were to give me some tools or advice, how can I as a sales rep in a call disqualify earlier? Absolutely. I think if it's um, it all comes down to the business case or the objective behind someone speaking to you. Um, from my experience and from what we've seen is if you just cannot find a good enough reason for them to be speaking to you there and then, it's most likely not a serious opportunity. So if there's no business case, if there's no business need, I think mm. a lot of it comes down to is this an individual pain? Is this an individual matter or is it a company wide thing? Because even if it sounds or seems very qualified on an individual level, as you progress with the deal, when it comes to like multi-threading, getting getting stakeholders involved, um, presenting to executives, they just couldn't care less if it's all about one person or one team and doesn't impact them in any way. So if you can't make the link between what you're hearing and the person you're speaking to and mm. a top-level executive you're most likely not going to get very far and it's more often than not um, a disqualified opportunity. Hmm. Yeah. And and on the disqualifying topic, uh, I, I read a book now over the summer uh, called The Jolt Effect. Uh, it's from the same author of uh, like Challenger Sale, trying to to push sales reps forward. And they talked also about the, the decision maker. Like in general, you always have that person that uh, at a restaurant, what do you want to eat? Ah, I don't know. Uh, I have to think more. Yeah. And like if you can sense that persona in a sales call, that is a red flag and you try to like put them in the disqualify basket earlier. Yeah. I'm, yeah, like I said, I'm a, a big, massive believer in consultative and challenger sales. Actually, the two approaches that we take um, slowly, pretty much. So you consult and then you hear their comments or thoughts and then you challenge to steer them into the right direction and make them think about their problem. Mm. And then you see what happens if you just keep getting pushback. Um, if the person is not consultable and they're not challengeable and they don't know what they want, there's no way out. There's no way forward. And it's definitely a clear disqualification. Yeah. 
Yeah, it makes sense. Right, we we did a, a bit of a rabbit hole here on the the, the quick ones, but yeah. uh, uh, jump jumping back, uh, another quick question: If you are to put on a song that will get you or your team hyped, which song is the go-to? Oh, hmm, it's a good one. I'm not really a music person, so it's a bit of a difficult one to answer. Uh, okay, <laughs> you're more of a podcast person, or <laughs> I'm I'm more of a yeah, more of a podcast person, to be fair. Let me see. Yeah. Mm. I'm not afraid, maybe. Eminem? Yeah. Yeah? That's one I good. can think of. <laughs> I'll allow it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's good. And, uh, okay, we have uh, three more quick ones. Uh, one thing that you use ChatGPT for. And it's okay to say nothing. Yeah. No, 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 definitely. I think it's... Um especially during the early days where resources were very limited. ChatGPT was our uh, legal consultant. So (laughs) (laughs) things like drafting contracts or um, writing things in the right terminology legally, I think ChatGPT has been of great help to us. Um, That's the main use case I can think of, which was like incredibly valuable to us in the early days when we couldn't have an actual lawyer on board. Yeah. That that's, uh, makes sense because then you can just give the prompt, act as a, hmm, and then give yeah. it this. Yeah, exactly. Or you can um, find different clauses and put them into chat GPT and kind of ask them to rewrite it in the simplest but also most um, formative way possible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dumb it down or complex it up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, two more. Uh, in terms of... Uh, if I were to ask your team, which question do you ask them most often? What's the next step? <laughs> okay. Genuinely. <That's> good. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Or, or what's um, next? Sorry, or what? Or what's next? I always like to have a plan and work towards an end goal. So I'm always pushing to know what's next, where are we at and what's next. Always got to be in mm. check. That's good. Next step always. Yeah. And uh, last but not least, and this I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious about the product as well. Uh, leaving voice messages, yes or no? For me, it's no. Mm-hmm. Is um, it because it's not part of the, part of the product yet? <laughs> it is. No, it, it, in, in fact, Salesfinity automates voicemail drops, so you can record multiple voicemails and you can drop them. Um, so it mm. is definitely... Um, <clears throat> part of the product i just yeah. i mean i'll go back a little bit and i'll just kind of clarify what i mean it's yeah. about the technique behind the voicemail if you kind of give it all away hey max it's omar calling from salesfinity i called you because xyz you've kind of burned your card and most likely you know it's too little context and too short of a thing for them to actually get interested and call you back most likely they, or they could potentially block your number and you lose out on your opportunity altogether but if you yeah. keep it very short and very like straight to the point uh, keep it a little bit like vague it might prompt someone to be curious and call you back but in my opinion just um have a good process where you redial people on a based on a specific sequence rather than leave voicemails is uh, much more effective I gotta say, I I agree. It, it feels like uh, the the 
the voicemail that is too long won't be listened to. And if it's too short, you can't get the pitch through. So then it's maybe best to just cut it. Exactly. That's that's my opinion for sure. Yeah. Ah, interesting take. Uh, all right. Leaving the, the quick uh, segment, uh, even though we, we hit a bit of a rabbit hole, we, we managed well, I would say. <laughs> Transferring, you talked a bit about uh, like hiring is a big focus for you now. Both account executives and customer success managers. What would you say is the most important thing for you looking in these people? What do you what do you look for? So I, I always like to say that we hire for um, soft skills and not hard skills. I think you can absolutely teach anyone anything, but if they don't have the right characteristics then they just couldn't be a fit. So some of the things I look for is definitely, or we look for as a company is um, adaptability, flexibility. And before all that is all about integrity. So we only want to work with good humans. I believe we're all good humans. The reason myself and my co-founder decided to work together is because we both have very strict and very clear values. And we kind of wanted to, put our values together and do something amazing for the world. So that will never go away. Every person we hire has to be a good human, has to be honest in, in, in all aspects of life. And more importantly, has to be coachable. So someone with no ego, no arrogance. And I'm, I'm kind of guessing, I, I guess I'm just mentioning like very um, specific characteristics. And I haven't even said anything about sales uh, because I believe people can be taught if you teach them well and if you have the right kind of training in place more specifically when it comes to sales or kind of any anyone in the sales team whether it's customer success or or account executives we like people who are consultative people who love and and can listen a lot more than they speak and people who believe and accept that no one cares about them no one cares about their product and all, all people care about is the value you can add to them. So if you can act accordingly, then you should be successful. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the things that you say now sounds great, but how do you implement that in like a hiring process? You talked about the integrity and, and being a good human. How do you scan? To be fair, it's, it's not very easy. And that's kind of the, the complexity of it. And what, what makes it even more difficult is that because we're still pretty early on, the, the the hires we make today are going to define the rest of our DNA and the rest of the the, the culture going forward. So, yeah. hiring has been um, very challenging to say the least because we look for very specific characteristics and some ways in which we like some ways in which we kind of test for these are, I guess, through taking some of the formality away from interviews and generally getting to know people on a personal level. Um, talking about different topics that can kind of prompt them to 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 take the the true person out rather than just tell us what we want to hear so i think the more formal you make the interview process especially at the beginning <clears throat> the more you'll hear what 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 you want to hear and you kind of get you're kind of limited to understanding the true person you're speaking to so um Maybe we do it subconsciously, but we like to have the first and second stage interviews of like as informal as possible. And then it's, mm-hmm. we start to add more structure and kind of ask and look for specific skill sets and characteristics, etc. But 
I know this answer wasn't very detailed. Um, no, but it, it makes sense. I mean, uh, starting with the, the, the human aspect and the, the, the chemistry and the, the values, and then you can go into the, the more, maybe not hard skills, but like, okay, this is the expectations on the role yeah. and the, how you'll work and so on. And I, I don't know if others do it. I, I mean, when I interviewed candidates prior to Salesfinity, um, it's a question I always like to ask. It's like, what do you care about in life? What are you trying to achieve in life? Really mm. zoom out and look at the bigger picture of this person. What are they trying to achieve? What is their purpose in life? What do they want to do? What do they care about? And you can very easily tell when someone's answers are very um, all about me, 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 and very selfish. Um, and you can also tell when someone is, you know, loves to have good relationships, loves to be committed to friends, even to their partner. These things can tell you a lot about people. Um, and if someone is just about, you know, I want to make as much money as possible. I want to be successful. I want to be um, a manager without any indication of why and why that's good yeah. to the world and why that's good to their environment and to their community. It could often be a red flag. And that's kind of what we test for by being somewhat informal in, in, the, in the earlier interview stages. Mm. Yeah. And then, as you said, like uh, being early and bringing in the next piece of the puzzle is definitely gonna form and shape the DNA of the company going forward and that brings me in a lot of like the culture aspect of it uh, what would you say that you and your team uh, are doing to maintain a good culture we are incredibly honest and open so I think <clears throat> I personally believe it's very hard to have bad culture if everyone is very open and very honest about their opinion about their approach about feedback so mm. feedback is something i always push for i i ask my team to see me as one of them at all times like no one is above the other we're all in this together we're all one team um especially so early on in a startup <clears throat> i don't like to think yeah. about things in like a very segmented way like this function and that function and this team and that team we're all one team so kind of having that collaborative environment and open and honest and kind of caring environment where everyone genuinely cares about each other and about where the company is going um yeah. it's good but then also when it comes to openness i think being clear about the vision about what we're trying to achieve about what impact we're trying to make on people's lives how we're trying to help companies launch and, and expand and grow and change their founders, employees, investors, change everyone's life that gets involved in those companies is a massive vision. And I think the more you iterate the vision and the mission, the more you get everyone on the same page. And if you have a very siloed <clears throat> team, I think the silos are usually because there isn't enough openness. Everyone is kind of doing their own thing. The executives are trying to protect their own kind of agenda the managers are trying to keep people working, but no one actually knows what's happening um, yeah. above or below below them. Yeah. And it saves you a lot of time as well. Like if, if everyone is very open and transparent about things, you can identify problems immediately. You can also identify mm. bad fit immediately. So if someone just couldn't take feedback, if someone is consistently being... Um, having an ego and isn't accepting any feedback or criticism or constructive feedback, let's say, then, you know, they're not a fit. Um, if yeah. you try and beat around the bush and sugarcoat everything and act all nice and giggly, um, I think you can delay a lot of problems that could 
impact the company and everyone around you over time. Yeah. And and that brings me into like yeah, the sequence of one-on-ones or huddles or town halls. Uh, how, how do you structure that at the moment, being a, a small team? Do you have some sort of regular one-on-ones or do you just uh, do daily, weekly check-ins? So... Um, to be completely transparent, everyone's calendar is slightly kind of all over the place because we all work in different time zones and it's it's not always easy to get everyone on a on like a on a pre-planned call. So yeah. <clears throat> we have like daily calls in the calendar, which are for us all to kind of cold call together, share best practices, um, discuss com- competition, discuss new ambitions new new plans etc um but they're almost optional so people can jump in and out um as and when they like we like to have something that kind of unites us all and then there's also planned like one-to-one on um onboardings trainings coaching etc we all i believe meet pretty much every day but it's by choice not by force hmm. makes sense and uh on the uh like different time zones, then I can imagine that it's going to be difficult to respect each other in terms of work-life balance uh, because that creates a, a, an obstacle, right, in, in uh, the different time zones. How do you and your team maintain a good work-life balance uh, in in uh, Affinity? Um, I mean, maybe, maybe it's a more personal question for you. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good question. I will openly admit it personally. I don't think I have work-life balance. Um, I mean, just being honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't I mean, being a being a co-founder at a at a SaaS company. It it rarely is the perfect combination. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What yeah. I do like to always push for is when you're not working, please switch off. So mm. <clears throat> when you're like when you're off, be off. And I think that can definitely counteract a lot of suboptimal work-life balance that kind of people experience in early stage startups or in, in SaaS or in tech in general. So it's I think it's it's about how often you can switch off and whether you can switch off properly. I, I personally still struggle to switch off, but I always push the team to, you know, <clears throat> if you need a break, then actually take a break. If you're spending time with family, then actually do spend time with family. We we also obviously share each other's calendars, so <clears throat> we make sure that we're all kind of trained somewhat on the same things, all have the same foundations, all are experts in the product, so we can always cover as and when needed um, to respect each other's time zones and personal lives. But I'll be completely honest, like it's 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 not perfect work life balance yet. Um, I don't know if that will ever if that will ever be achieved um, in the near future. But we're all trying our best as long as um, as long as people are excited about what they do. You, yeah. can, you can create your own work-life balance. But I think it, it's important, as you said, that as long as you have something, if it's a relationship, family, friends, a hobby, yeah. but while you're doing it, don't pick up the phone and start fibbling on the side, but like exactly. do the complete switch off. Exactly. And the weekends obviously are, are a good opportunity for people to definitely switch off and spend some time with family or do something beyond work um <clears throat> i mean i feel somewhat of a hypocrite kind of saying this stuff because i i genuinely <laughs> don't think i am 
very good at switching off yet to something I'm, I'm actively working on. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but obviously everyone is in a different position and people have different lives. So while and when you can, please switch off and enjoy your, uh, your life and your time and make sure you're active, go out. These kind of things can make a difference because we all know early startup life is not easy at all. And it's not a joke mm. either. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, as you said, it's uh, it's a small team. So I can imagine there's a lot of different fires to put out and the different hats. Yeah, we're all we're all pretty much wearing different multiple hats. But one thing we're very careful about is to not over dilute everyone's focus. So we all have our expertise um, mm. and our focus, but we also make sure that we all have a foundational understanding of the product, the problems, the customers, the the pitch, etc. So we can cover as and when needed. Yeah, makes sense. And obviously we're growing. So it's it's really about kind of I guess taking taking slowing down to speed up. I don't know how accurate that is, but it's we're currently in a phase where we're like hiring as much and as fast as we can so we can continue going through, you know, continue the journey to the moon on the on our rocket ship. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> cool. That's uh, exciting. Nice. And uh Entering uh, like the, the outro parts of, of uh, this episodes a bit. Um, let's say I'm a potential customer of yours. I want to buy Salesfinity. What main one point of advice would you give to a potential customer? Have the right data for sure. I mean, if you're talking about specifically Salesfinity as a product, what would make them yep. successful using Salesfinity? Yeah. Yeah, definitely have your data in check. You you will Elaborate. not be successful with Salesfinity or any other tool if your data is <clears throat> trash, to say the least. <laughs> so a lot of the tools that exist today <clears throat> are as good as the data is. And Salesfinity is definitely one of those. So if you have inaccurate contact data, bad numbers, <clears throat> you buy lists of dodgy websites and expect to be successful that way because you can call more people. Um, it's, it's definitely counterproductive. So yeah. invest in the data, make sure you understand what's in your data, you know, what and why and who you have in your lists and then look to optimize it with AI through sales. Yeah. Um, the more you put in, the more you get out. Yeah, we, we uh, have a similar problem in the CRM space. Uh, of course, if you have shit data and you put it into a different CRM, it's still going to be shit. Yep. So shit in, shit out. <laughs> garbage in, garbage out. Definitely. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. 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 Sorry, yeah. The, Brit the British version. <laughs> that's, yeah, I learned that um, at Databricks. I worked for a data and AI company. So as you can imagine, like I used to hear that phrase like a yeah. hundred times a day. <laughs> yeah. If you got a dollar every time or a pound, sorry, then you yeah. would be in Bahamas, not here. Yeah, I wouldn't have started Salesfinity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, wrapping up on, on uh, like the upcoming guests uh, for me to bring uh, bring into the, the show. Uh, I mean, I want to talk to, to uh, uh, founders, CRO, sales leaders, uh, people within the sauce business. Do you have any advice on people for me to, to nudge into my podcast pipe? Ooh, okay. Um, are you targeting a specific country? I mean, uh, since you're in London, why not uh, fellow uh, English uh, men, women? 
Absolutely. I met someone who I'm very inspired by. Hmm? Um, his, his name is Robert. He is a founder and a CEO of a company that lets any company talk to their data, pretty much plug and play, which is a massive problem today. Um, yep. When I spoke to him, he mentioned that he had like thousands and thousands of people on the waiting list and they hadn't even started like doing proper marketing yet. So he's in a very good position. He has all yep. the right investors on board. Incredibly nice guy. He's also based in London. So um, I, I think you, would de- you should definitely speak to him. Yeah. Do you have a last name, Robert? Um, I will need to... We can take it in the chat. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Ah, that's that's good advice. And uh, it seems like it, it's touching upon the, one of the things that you uh, you talked about as well, like the data and then the quality and trying to dig into it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'll I'll send him I'll send you his full name. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any other uh, people that comes to mind? <clears throat> Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I don't know if you know him, but his name is Matthew um, on, on LinkedIn. Uh-huh. Matthew um, Lakajev. Mm-hmm. Very, very active guy. He's all about AI. <clears throat> He's based in Australia, so it's kind of maybe a, a good mix to have in here. Yeah. Um, so he's he's someone who basically helps companies automate and optimize their processes with link with um, with sales with sorry with ai <laughs> yeah so he's he's a i would i would love to like i'd like to call him a true expert when it comes to the um generative ai space and kind of optimization of go to market with ai etc um i can put mm-hmm. you in touch but i think he'd yeah. be interested to uh to, to speak for sure Definitely. I just got to ask uh, ChatGPT for relevant AI questions to ask him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. His company is called BetterLine, by the way. BetterLine? Yeah. All right, cool. Great, awesome advice. And uh, last but not least, uh, if you were to give some sort of uh, advice, either like a, yeah, a really good career advice that you've heard or, or live by, or it can be more of like <clears throat> a cringy sales manager quote, what would you want to end this episode with? I think, um, yeah, I think, I don't know how cringe it is, but I think whatever you do in life, whether it's applying to jobs, selling, even just walking down the road, always put yourself in someone else's shoes. And mm. <clears throat> I don't mean like to be empathetic. Obviously, that's that's very important. But I mean, anything you do, think about how the other person perceives it and whether it's valuable or interesting to them. I think a lot of people are caught up in their own way of doing things, <clears throat> their own emails, their own cold call pitch, their own marketing material. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and the, I think no one, no one cares about you again. Like I said, you have to make people care about you. So if you put the, if you put yourself in their shoes, understand their life and pitch or do something that's valuable to them then um, you'll be very successful <clears throat> when it comes to like jobs or applying to different roles. Don't just send a job application. Don't, don't kind of be a low effort kind of person. Um, know that life is competitive and put yourself in the hiring manager's shoes. You want someone to stand out, especially if you're applying to a sales role, hmm. 
you kind of show what kind of effort you would put into a prospect when you apply to a job. If you just send a job application and wait around, um, you don't you don't give a very good kind of impression. So put yourself in in the shoes of your hiring manager, of your next customer, or of your next friend, and always do the right thing. That's what I would definitely advise. Yeah, that is good, and it's a good way to wrap up the episode as well. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. All right, uh, Umar, thanks a lot for, for joining me on this episode and I wish you and Salesfinity all the best. Thank you, Max. Awesome. You have a, a lovely day. Speak to you later. Yeah, take care. Right. Cheers. Now you got me hitting the phones. I'm in sales. I love hitting the phones. One call close. All right. Shifting the focus to you that's been listening. Just want to remind you that this is an interactive podcast. So hit the link in the episode description. There, you can join the discussion with other listeners and comment on episodes. You can also submit ideas for upcoming guests, topics, or simply upvote what other people have already suggested. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it to someone that might be curious, friends, coworker, or that random person in your LinkedIn feed. Last but not least, leave a rating if you enjoyed it. While we're at it, add me on LinkedIn to see short video clips from the podcast and enjoy the rest of your day. See ya. Last quarter, I smashed my quota. Short memory, I forgot what I sold you. Sales pro wisdom like Yoda. I wonder which my prospects I should phone up. Now you got me hitting the phones. I'm in sales, I love hitting the phones. One call closer while sitting at home. I'm in sales, I love hitting the phones. Last quarter, I smashed my quota. Short memory, I forgot what I sold you. Sales pro wisdom like Yoda. I wonder which my prospects I should phone up. Now you got me hitting the phones. I'm in sales, I love hitting the phones. One call closer while sitting at home. I'm in sales, I love hitting the phones. Gotta hit the phone.